10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Hey, if you're a late 80s, early 90s A-State basketball fan, and there were a whole lot of them Mm -hmm. back during that time, we've got a treat for you coming up here in the next few minutes. Former A-State star Bobby Gross will be in studio. Or if you're just a current Northeast Arkansas high school basketball fan. Yeah, true. He uh, won a bunch of games and just an entertaining cat. I always enjoy my chances to visit with Bobby Gross. Look forward to to doing that in this episode which concludes year one of the second to none podcast this is episode number 52 and i remember our very first episode was a recap of sunbelt conference media days and when this podcast comes out you're hearing this well, the earliest you can hear this is Tuesday, and you and I have been down in New Orleans doing Sunbelt Media Day coverage. Next week, we're going to have a full recap of everything that happened at Sunbelt Conference Football Media Days in New Orleans. Plural for the first time, because with the newly expanded league, 14 teams for the first time, uh, Sunbelt Media Day has become Media Days. By the time you listen to this, we're already probably into it, but you and I will visit with all seven head coaches from the East Division on Tuesday. All seven head coaches from the West, including Butch Jones, on Wednesday. And after that, it's just sort of it's sort of football season. There are things that signify the start of football, and they're all happening. Um, this is one certainly, and then the other one, you know, for me, that kind of know is uh, that it's football time. Is every year when I talk to Phil Steele, that means it's football season. And I heard him with you this he was past on, yeah, week. This past week, oh, so it's it's just about football time. Well, soccer's almost here too, football. and we had a great conversation last week with a state head soccer coach Brian Dooley. His team finally has its schedule out. The season opener coming up August 18th at home against UAPB. And in fact, six of the seven non-conference games are at home. The only non-conference road game will be in Fayetteville August 28th when they take on Arkansas. But this is an A-State team that, as we talked about with Coach Dooley last week, is now in search of a third straight Sunbelt title. And these new conference teams make the women's league better. In fact, you know, I think Coach Dooley's hopeful that uh, this 14-team setup could eventually get the Sunbelt to be a multi-bid league in the NCAA tournament. And he also talked to, with me uh, a week before last about the men's teams coming in. There's uh, the, These new teams, enough of them have good men's teams that the Sunbelt's actually restarting men's soccer as a as a sanctioned That's sport. Right. In fact, I think UCF is a, a Sunbelt member in men's soccer, I think. But so, too, are the fact that uh, two of the new teams – in uh, the league where the two teams have played each other for the Conference USA soccer championship on the men's side. So women's soccer is getting stronger. Men's soccer, which we don't play here at Arkansas State, gotten so strong they had to start giving a conference championship in it again. 
A few weeks ago, Eon Young was in here, the A-State men's basketball assistant coach. Really, really enjoyed our visit with him. But part of that visit included him telling us that Marquise Eaton would likely be signing a contract overseas and in England. Yes. And that has come to fruition. Keese has actually signed to play for the Cheshire Phoenix. So he'll be playing for them coming up very soon. Would you believe he's not the first Jonesboro High School alum to play for the Cheshire Phoenix? Really? Karan Ross. Is that right? Played I didn't know at he one played point for, for the Cheshire Phoenix. Yes, he did. Jonesboro really? High School. They, Cheshire Phoenix have the pipeline connected to, to JHS getting those players. <laughs> well, always rooting for Keys. What a career he had. The all-time leader in games played. He's top five in several other categories. Points, assists, steals, but hoping he does well in his chance, uh, his opportunity overseas in England. Speaking of basketball, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll be joined by Bobby Gross in studio here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio now by... A former A-State basketball player played for the Indians from 1987 to 1991, has turned into a highly successful state championship winning high school coach and athletic director at Brooklyn. And a guy who you look in the media guide still, third all time on the career list for three-point field goal percentage. Yeah. 44% for his career. It's Bobby Gross. Did you know that stuff? <laughs> I, I did not know that. And which which part? Do you know you shot 44% or do you know it was still that high? I didn't know I shot 44%. <laughs> um, I always uh, was told I missed too many shots by Coach Catalina. So <laughs> every shot I missed, I was reminded by that, by him. But no, that's uh, that's uh, that's good to know. I don't, I don't know who's who's number one and two. Do you know who that? Oh gosh, I'd I'd have to go back. I and think look. Antonio Harvey was up there at one time. I know, I don't know if it's made threes. Yeah, he was way uh, up there in makes. He was he was really high in makes, but uh, that was a uh, that was a good time. Good time. You know, eighty seven to ninety one. Those four years. That was a blessing and uh, just probably the best time of best time of my life. Really, it, you know, you didn't know how good you had it until you left, and you think, oh my gosh, I wish I can go back and uh, do that again. Of course, the three point shot has come so far, so prominent in today's game. Not only on the the professional level, the college level, I guess the high school level, it's it's there as well. But absolutely, you know, you look now and teams are shooting 20, 25 threes a game. How many were you guys shooting back then? Surprisingly, that was one of our strengths, especially my junior and senior year. That was really the only way we could have uh, have a chance to play against big time players or big time teams. We had uh, Philip McKellar 
who was a, a, a great three-point shooter. And then we had Keith Gray, Cowboy. And if people don't remember him, uh, you know, he he was open at 50 feet. And uh, he could uh, miss seven in a row, but he can make seven in a row. Uh, he was a tremendous streak shooter. And we had some other guys that could shoot a little bit. But uh, we, we kind of relied on the three my junior and senior year. My, my freshman and sophomore year, you had Big John Tate and Greg Williams. And it was, you know, we are going to pound that thing <laughs> in there. And I didn't care. It, they, you know, it, it didn't matter who was down there. We're going to pound it down, mm-hmm. and uh, we really didn't shoot the ball well from uh, from the three point line my first two years there. But those were the first two years that I'd ever known a three point shot because I never had it in high school. So uh, I look back; it's so funny. I uh, there's a one tape of uh, me playing in high school in the Kentucky State tournament, and the team we're playing is playing a two three, and everything's in eighteen and in and in. in, in. I mean, there was nobody playing 18 feet and out, and uh, we're wi- I'm wide open. I'm like, why am I not shooting? I mean, it's unbelievable, but that's just not how the game was played then. Mm-hmm. You, by the way, and I'm not just kidding, but you look like you could go play today. <laughs> and, and so it's funny to yeah. know that and, be, and hear you say you played high school basketball without a three-point line. Right. Yeah, I, I'll be 54 in August 1st. And uh, I remember in 1986-87, they said the three-point line's coming in, and we're playing, and I played an all-star game that summer with the three-point shot, and we were practicing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so far out here. <laughs> and I was like, that's so deep. And until you got used to it, you just didn't shoot those shots. You kind of shot the top of the key three, but the wings and corners, mm-hmm. you really weren't used to shooting that far out. So uh, uh, getting to college, we actually did a drill that we shot NBA threes. And I was like, I can't get the ball up there. You know, I was, a, <laughs> you know, I'm 165 pounds and soaking wet, and uh, you know, I could run and jump, but I was not a, I really was not a good shooter coming into college, and uh, that was one of the things that just you know put in the work and get better. But uh, that was a huge transition for me because I was always take it to the hole, be an athlete, attack the rim. Well. You know, you get to ASU, great story. I, I high jump in the state track meet on a Saturday, like the last week in May. On that Sunday, I, my parents dropped me off at ASU because Coach Catalina wanted all the players to spend the whole summer in Jonesboro together to oh, work wow. out. And he got us all jobs. So at that Sunday, I am uh, at ASU or at Apartment City back here meeting guy. I, you know, I don't know these guys. I've kind of met them on trips and seen them play. But so I'm rooming with Carl Archer, Baker Mosley, and Ed Loudon. And uh, that Sunday night we go play. Monday morning, I'm talking about reality check. Coach uh, Lake McCrary call, says, "Hey, meet me in the old Indian Fieldhouse at nine o'clock." Said, yes, sir. So I meet him in there, and he starts throwing me about a basketball. He says, shoot it. And so I shot. I shot about 20 shots. He just said, that's all wrong. And I was like, what do you mean it's wrong? He goes, you're shot. It's all wrong. I was like, well, you recruited me as a scorer. <laughs> How is it wrong? He goes, your shot's wrong. You're not going to be able to play college basketball. And I was like, my first day, you're telling me I can't play college basketball, but you recruited me. So he went through this big thing of my, my form. And so we're all summer long for a month, I could not shoot outside 12 foot. So mm. here I am trying to get a, get a shot off against these giants. You know, we had 
Greg Williams, 6'10", 270. We had Patrick Eddy, 6'11", 7 foot. We had all these 6'8s and 9s, and, and I'm going in there. I'm getting destroyed, and I'm thinking, okay, I thought I could play Division One basketball. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And uh, so eventually, through the work, he let me – uh, you know, back up and start shooting a little bit and get used to the three, get used to shooting the, the way he wanted me to shoot. And it was a transition. So on that Monday, he changed my shot on Tuesday. This is unbelievable. He gets us all jobs. My job was at Hayes, I guess, grocery store uh-huh. for Benny Hayes. And I'm pushing carts. It's still May. And I just graduated seven days ago and i'm in jonesboro arkansas pushing carts at hayes and i'm thinking what am i doing what did what i get into did i get into <laughs> i can't shoot outside 12 foot my shots all messed up i'm working at hayes i you know i didn't have a summer i miss my friends i don't know who these guys are and this these three guys are just wearing me out and i hadn't even started co- uh you know my first year of college so that was a oh, wow experience. what an introduction but it was actually good for me. So it, it kind of got us uh, acclimated. And I can't imagine if I just walked in the first you know, week of school and come in and, and had a whole summer and not known. But that was probably the best thing for all. all I think we had five or six freshmen that year. It was the best thing for all of us. And, we, and it got us tight as a team, uh, spending all that time together. So that's right. something that uh, a lot of people don't realize. You know, you, some of these college athletes, they, they all – this and that. I'm like, listen, I graduated on a Friday night. I jumped in the state track meet on a Saturday, went to Jonesboro on Sunday, told me I was no good on Monday and <laughs> pushing carts on Tuesday. And I was like, well, just send me home on Wednesday and I'll go to Paducah Community College, you know. And, and that, I was sitting there. I remember calling, laying in the bed, calling my dad. I was like, dad, is I, I, I can't do this. He's like, uh, yeah, you can. He goes, you're going to do it. And he said, just suck it up and just do it. And uh, I was, okay. So I just want to think I'm going to let my mom and dad down. And, and as good as it was at times, I've been at the bottom. So it's it, it was an experience. Well, you had to wait your turn to finally play at A-State. You played in 24 games off the bench your first two years as a right. freshman and sophomore. But right. You had some really good players in front of you, and I know one of those players was Carl Archer, who's Absolutely. one of the all-time greats Absolutely. at A-State, second on the career list and assists and steals. So you obviously were trying to take advantage of any playing time you could get back then. Oh, yeah. it was. Uh, I looked at the stats, and I don't think they were right, but um, I played 13 minutes my freshman year. In our senior banquet, after my senior year, we had our basketball banquet, and uh, Coach Catalina said the biggest mistake I made in my coaching career was not redshirting Bobby Gross his freshman year. Wow. And I didn't want to be redshirted because that's kind of a stigma of you're you're not good enough or, hey, you know, we don't believe in this guy. If you're not redshirting, you might play. Right, right. But right. If you get retro, you're not. You're not. And any more players come in wanting to retro. Exactly. And that was a. And that that's part of. Uh, I wish someone would have taken uh, ownership. Uh, you know, not left it up to me because they actually asked, and I said, I don't want to be redshirted. Of course, you know, I've, you want to play. Yeah. Uh, you're redshirted. You don't go on the trips. You sit on the bench, and you might dress out, but you might not. You're in street clothes, uh, so you're kind of away, but you're still playing. You're not doing all the things that all that hard work at least i get to travel and go to the 
fly on the planes, go to the games. And, uh, but uh, I look back and, you know, what would have been? I had another year. What would have been? You know, uh, could I have gone to that next level? You know, I remember the next year after I got out, I was like, you know, I was 15 pounds heavier. I was jumping higher. I was actually faster. I was better. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, and they actually, a lot of people don't realize, they actually asked me my sophomore year, do you want to be redshirting? Because we were absolutely loaded. I mean, we had Chris Dillard come in, top 100 guard out of Chicago. We had John Tate, Greg Williams, Ron Johnson, Bo Brown, Carl Archer, Ed Loudon, Barry Mayberry coming from junior college, Chris Dillard. And I'm sitting there, and I was like, no, I, I, I want to play. So I go from 13 minutes, six games my freshman year to 78 minutes and 12 games my sophomore year. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, Chris Dillard's ahead of me. Barry Mayberry's ahead of me. Do I just go to Murray State, walk on, sit out a year, or, you know, what do I do? Uh, again, my dad was like, you're going to have to just suck it up and do it. Come on. You're going to have to work. you got to fight for what you want. And had a great summer. And that's a whole that that's a whole another story that junior year. You know, I know I don't know what direction y'all want to go with this, but that was a whole another story. Well, yeah, I mean, we we want to touch on uh, a lot of things, but you know, you mentioned those great players you were able to be around right out of the mm-hmm. gate: John Tate, Carl Archer, unbelievable guys. Among too. those players mm-hmm. that that were your teammates, but in that freshman season, you go back and you look at at where you guys were. You actually started the season. In San Juan, you were in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico to start the season, Absolutely. and then you opened up the Convocation Center. By the way, we now have the answer why he didn't want a red shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to go to San Juan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So he gets to go to San Juan and be on that trip as a freshman, and then you come home. You take on Memphis at home in what is still the largest crowd to ever right. see a game in that building. Whoa, now. Biggest crowd to ever see for a men's, men's game, game in that building. In that building. Yeah. Excuse me, Arkansas Brad, you're was right. the Arkansas game. Yeah, had more. The women's game. Yeah. The by, women's uh, game actually uh, had more. You're 130 right, 130 or so. Yeah. But largest men's crowd right. ever in that building. What was that atmosphere like? What do you remember about that? Well, environment? I got to tell you a story about San Juan first. So we get to okay. go to San Juan and we're playing in a gym that was had open windows, and. We had a practice gym scheduled for one day, and it, and they you know they messed it up. Somebody else was using it, so there was an outdoor gym. Now it's mid November, but it's about ninety five in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And Coach Catalina makes us practice outside <laughs> in a in a uh, just an asphalt uh, community you know park. And all these people come around. And of course, they think we're NBA players. And we, I think we tell them we're the Bulls or, or something like that because our our, our our practice gear was kind of the same. And and I was sitting out there. I was thinking, it's ninety five. It's one o'clock, and we're out here practicing. And I'm picking up Carl Archer full court, and he's literally elbowing me and just destroying me every every trip down. But uh, that that was an experience. But going going to Memphis, the Memphis game, I remember. We had the shoot around. He said, "Okay, we want you back at this time." First game, I don't know the the all the ins and outs, and of course, all the upperclassmen that knew what was going on, they go early. All us freshmen, we don't know what's going on, so we get there. We say, "Hey, we got to go." So we we drive from Delta Hall, which is a quarter of a mile yeah. from the convocation center. So 
they won't let us in. They won't let us park. And so we're driving around. It's totally packed. People are everywhere. Finally, we go, we're on the team. The guy laughs. He goes, y'all not on the team. Y'all, y'all get out of here. Turn around. So we're turning around. We're trying. Finally, somebody lets us in. We park underneath a uh, little access where the uh, semis come in to load all the dirt and yeah. uh, all that. So we get in, and we come in, and, we're, and we hear the crowd. And we're actually late. We're late. There's about eight of us that are late and because we they wouldn't let us in so we're running down the back hall hoping that coach cannelly and one of the coaches aren't there you know trying to figure out what's going on so we look through one of the doors and a couple of the guys are out there shooting so we are diving into the locker room hurry up put our uniforms on run out real quick and we're trying to act cool like you know everything's good and <laughs> and uh coach mccrary he's like hey he goes where y'all been and we're like, oh, we're just stretching in the trainer's room, getting taped up. He goes, okay. So, you know, so that game starts, and I just remember I had the advantage of playing in, in front of five or 10,000 people in high school being from Kentucky. So, I, you know, I played in front of 18,000 people in the quarterfinals of the state in, in Rupp Arena. So I, I had a little bit more of an advantage. But that crowd, when that tip-off, and I looked around – and and you have Sylvester Gray, who is an unbelievable athlete, and these guards, and and I was sitting there watching it, three feet away, and I was sitting. I still remember I was like third down from the end of the bench, and I was like, Lord, please don't let me get in this game. <laughs> I have no business getting in this game. I was like, these these guys are at a different level, and that's where I saw John Tate take it to a professional level and you know he didn't get to play professional basketball as in NBA but I feel like he was a professional basketball player he was that good and I saw him go to that level and Carl Archer do the things that he could do not being a a tremendous athlete but just a competitor just so strong those guys I, I gained so much respect for that game I just remember going down right down the wire we had I think John had a a last second shot to tie or, or win the game he missed it but uh that was an unbelievable experience it really was i want to and i know we're going to talk about different parts of your career here but twice in those stories about uh wanting to go home it included a call to your dad who mm-hmm. said nope you gotta suck it up right also we know who you played for at arkansas state right i know you're a hard-nosed basketball coach so kind of what's the mixture of influence between those two guys on you as a coach your dad and coach cat well my dad my mom is probably as tough as my dad my mom is uh she's just a saint walking the earth but it's probably the toughest woman i've ever known and they instilled in my my sister and myself we did not want to disappoint the family hard work never quit do the best you can in everything that you do there our standards were so high you don't have to be a millionaire, but you better be the best in whatever you choose. So uh, I remember in high school that, you know, I remember coming out and I'm like, yep, I'm going to hear it tonight on the way home. And, uh, you know, my dad was a coach. He was an administrator. Uh, he got out of coaching and he was our uh, bookkeeper. For, so he was right there every game, <laughs> and uh, which was good because then he couldn't yell. So that was good. So, uh, But I knew if I, if I didn't, he really wasn't scoring, but if I didn't play hard, if I didn't uh, play good team basketball, 
if I didn't uh, have a good attitude, I, mean, I was destroyed at the house. I mean, it was just, uh, that was not acceptable. Just going out there and playing as hard as you possibly can, that was that's what he wanted. And he said, if you do that, then you're going to be successful and the points will come. And, you know, somebody immature, like a high school kid, they just want, you know, I have them on my team. I, I understand they want to score. They don't understand the the ins and outs of working hard and how working hard and being unselfish success will come. So my dad was probably 90%, my mom and dad, 90% of that toughness. Uh, then coming and playing for uh, Nelson Catalina, who demanded the exact same thing out of uh, every single player. So that was kind of reaffirming, not quitting, doing more, being tougher, working harder, working smarter, working longer, doing it again and again and again and again. Be perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And it was just – and he would even say, guys, I'm not yelling at you because I hate you. I'm yelling at you so we're, to get better. You know, we're over here trying to win games. We're not – you know, this is not the, the men's league, which, uh, you know, he at that time – his job's on the line every game. You know, they, he could have been fired at every game. So he's putting his livelihood in our hands. You know, after the fact, you figure it out. But you don't figure it out when you're 18, 22. You're just out there just hopefully have fun and, you know, trying to get some minutes. And you're thinking about yourself. You're, it's just all about me, me, me. So. so you were trying to get those minutes as a freshman and a sophomore. Both of those seasons, the team goes to the NIT. Made right. a deep run as a freshman. Went to the mm-hmm. quarterfinals. Right. But then your junior year comes along. This is the 89-90 season. You right. take over in a starting role, would start every game as a junior right. and a senior. And one game I've always heard about since I arrived at Arkansas State from fans, whoever I've talked to around the program, was the Cincinnati game. Oh, that yeah. junior season, Absolutely. Al Bannister Big Al. hits the mm-hmm. buzzer beater to beat Cincinnati. Right. What are your Memories of that game. Memories of that game is Bob Huggins is the head coach. Seen him coach on TV, you know. So now, now, and I've seen that team play on TV, and and I, I think it's the Metro, the old Metro Conference yeah. back then. So I knew those guys. I was like, oh, well, we're playing these. I mean, they're famous. So I just remember the physicality, the athleticism was extremely high, and I, I had a pretty good game. Got down. It was back and forth towards the end. We call a timeout. We're down. And the play was for either Barry Mayberry to come off on one side of a screen or me come off on the other side of a screen. And the play was to get it into Big Al. And Big Al was not a great scorer, but he was a good passer. And he was to look, you know, he it was his read. Whoever's coming off open, hit him, and we were going to shoot it. That was just it. So Barry comes over, comes off his, they switch, he's denied. I come off mine, they switch, I'm denied. He looks right, he looks left, and there was nothing for else for him to do but shoot. And he turns and shoots, and it was nothing but net. And <laughs> the entire place is going crazy. You know, I remember the Where, ball. Was he on the block? Where no, was he's, he? at the, he's standing on the three-point oh, line. Oh, wow. Left okay. wing, three-point line. He kind of looks around like, well, I, don't, well, I guess I better shoot it. And uh, – <laughs> And he wasn't a bad shooter. Uh, you know, he he was more – he was pure European. He wanted to shoot the three more than get down there and, and post up. And I remember we tried to pick him up. 
And you couldn't pick him up. And he's 7'5". Everybody says he's 7'5". He is 7'5", at 310 pounds. And you couldn't pick the guy up. So we're over there, and we're, and he's, and we're trying to pick him up. He's like, you're breaking my leg. You're breaking my leg. And that was a huge game because on that Saturday before, Pan American came in and beat us uh, in a con- our first conference game. So we kind of were like really down. And uh, I remember Coach Catalina coming in. I was thinking, boy, he's going to hammer us. And he came in a little positive. He said, guys, that's over. We got a job to do tomorrow night. Let's go beat Cincinnati. We had a good practice and wind up being a, a, a top 30 team in the nation. And, uh, boy, that was that was an experience. It really was. Did you ever ride around with Big Al? Yeah, Big Al had that yellow Trans Am. Yeah. And uh, people don't realize they had to take the front seat out. Yeah. And he sat in the back seat. And they did a special seat for him. They also did a special bed. People don't know he had an eight-and-a-half-foot bed in the, in the dorm room. Uh, they had to specially make that bed, and you could barely open the door to get into his uh, into his room. But uh, Every bit of 7'5"? He was every bit of 7'5". Uh, we always said – we called him 7'6". His, his nickname yeah. was 7'6". And he would be like, I'm not 7'6". We're like, yeah, you're 7'6". There's no doubt about it. And uh, – because there was, uh, I think, Patrick Eddy, I don't know if it's Patrick Eddy was 6'11 and a half, and we were standing, they were standing by there. I mean, he's that much taller than, than Patrick, easy six, seven inches. So, Big Al was a great dude. He was, uh, he was a kind of a victim of his, of his height. People wanted him to do a lot more, but, uh, and he was a great dude. And uh, I remember him riding my car, and his knees were up, up above his head. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> How do you see? I also he goes. I look through my knees, and uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, but he was the only guy that never had to go to uh, to breakfast. That was the one thing we were so mad. We had a rule: we had to go to breakfast every morning. We couldn't get Big out of breakfast, and uh, they tried to beat on the door and get him out of breakfast. He was like, "No, nah, I'm just not going to breakfast." So they they kind of quit messing with him. And Big Al had his own rules. He kind of rolled uh, uh, with a different set of rules than everybody else. So. <laughs> So finish your junior year, go into the senior your senior season ninety ninety one, and and that was a great year. You guys great won twenty three games mm-hmm. that season. You averaged fifteen and a half points a game. Went to the NIT. You beat Rice, and then in the second round you go to Memphis, right, and beat a Memphis team that had Elliot Perry and Tony Madlock. Tony Madlock, sure and did. you ended up hitting the. Go ahead three with less than two minutes to go. Well, that game, again, that's another team that I've watched for four years on TV in that Metro Conference with Memphis. And because you literally, at that point, here, not to do it, but you could get on WKNO, the PBS station out of Memphis, at late night, and you, I can remember, you could see them every Memphis State game. They'd replay them late oh, at wow. night. So yep. you could see every Memphis State game, even here if you wanted to. So Absolutely. you were really familiar with I, them I was familiar with Elliot Perry and Tony Madlock and those guys and watching them play Louisville. And I'm a huge Kentucky fan. There's, I mean, that's I believe blue because you, you just almost have to if you live in, uh, from Kentucky. But I was a, really a big Louisville fan as well. So Louisville and Memphis being in the same conference. And I'm watching Elliot Perry and Tony Madlock just tear up Louisville. And Louisville always had these tremendous athletes, and here we are. We're playing playing these guys. And I remember going into the game in the first three to four minutes, the speed of the game. And that's that's with us playing uh, Ole Miss that year. We'd already beaten Ole Miss. We played at LSU with, with Shaq. We played at Boston College. We've played 
great teams, but they were the fastest team I'd ever played in my four years. They, the speed of those guys coming down the court, it was a dead ball, and I turned to Brian, and Brian goes, you're going to have to guard Elliott. I said, well, there's no difference over here with Tony. I mean, he's <laughs> he's running a 4-2-40 down with the ball. I mean, it was unbelievable, the speed. And it took us about 10 minutes to, to get acclimated to that speed. And luckily, we we're still in the game. And But again, the tactician of Coach Catalina, he knew, even though it was a 45-second shot clock, he knew that if we – took about 35 to 45 seconds and made them work we were going to get a good shot and it and we did yeah you kept it in the 50s it kept was 58 57 sure was and we just tried to slow down those two guards the best we could elliot perry i mean he jumps four feet in the air on his jump shot he's only 510 but you you weren't blocking it you were just trying to keep him in front of you and force him into tough shots and the great thing about that game one of the greatest memories of my college career was at a dead ball, we're up. I may be two or two or three points. About three minutes to go in the game, and it's a dead ball. We come out of timeout, and they stuck the Arkansas State fans on the top on both sides, and we might have had maybe a thousand, two thousand there, and they're yelling Arkansas State Indians back and forth, back and forth, and it's me, Philip McKellar, and Brian Reeves, and we're standing there. And we're like, do you hear this? And you just goosebumps. I mean, we were just like, I got goosebumps and, and just now. I mean, <laughs> and I'm and I look up and I see my I see my dad, and I look uh, other side and I see classmates. I see, you know, just people in the community, and they're just going crazy. It's so funny because my mom and dad came down to see us this past weekend, and we're talking about my dad starts, you know, he starts reminiscing a lot more than I do. That was his uh, best part of his life, he, he says. But we come down to that game, that end of that possession, and I hit the three, and, and a lot of people don't re- remember that uh, they came down, missed. We're up three, and we're spread out, you know, five out trying to run the clock, and I have the ball at the top of the key, and Elliot Parrott's on me, and I'm looking for somebody to get the ball. i got to get the ball out of my hands, and he strips me clean. Goes down, I foul him, and I'm sitting there like, oh, gosh, I've just you know, I've lost this game, you know, or something's going to, you know. So he misses the first free throw, hits the second one. Somehow we're up three. I get fouled again, maybe 10 seconds to go. And so I'm sitting there thinking, if I, if I can hit one, this, thing, this game's over. So I missed my first one, and it's long. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, I didn't choke. I didn't leave it short. <laughs> I'm, I, short I'm just a little pumped, you know. <laughs> I didn't choke. So I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I got to hit this. Well, this guy comes down. It's the old booster. His name was Tullus Mead. Yeah. And uh, Tullus runs down. I see him running. It's so funny when you're playing with what you see. And he's yelling at me from underneath the basket. He's like, Bobby Gross, you better hit this second shot. You better hit this second shot. I'm like, well, I better hit the second shot. And uh, so I hit the second shot. They come down. Elliot hits a three at the buzzer. We're up four. Game over. We win. Place goes crazy. Uh, You know, my dad told me a story that he never told me before this past weekend. He said, when you were shooting those free throws, a guy came running up to me and said, thank you, thank you, Mr. Gross. Thank you so much for allowing Bobby to come to Arkansas State. And <laughs> and he was thinking, and he told me, he goes, well, 
there was nowhere else for him to go. That was his only scholarship uh, opportunity. And I was thinking, yeah, Dad, there's nowhere, no one else wanted me but uh, but Arkansas State. But he said, it's funny. He said it was so funny that uh, the people and uh, how they treated us and how they treated me. And, you know, it's just – it goes back to how thankful I am just for everybody here in northeast Arkansas and Jonesboro and the community. And I know I'm a coaching now and I coach against different communities – and people may perceive me as a hard-nosed coach that, oh, my gosh, he really is hard on his kids. But at the same time, I truly love this this area, and that's why I've never left. Mm-hmm. I've had chances to go to northwest Arkansas, chances to go back to western Kentucky. But I love I'm – a, I'm a northeast Arkansas. I'm an Arkansas State Indian. I always will be, and I love this area. Two things. Number one, that Memphis game is at the Mid-South Coliseum, which guarantees that game was not played on a Monday, first of all. Because Mondays are for wrestling at the Mid-South Coliseum. Number two, you twice referenced Brian Reeves, your teammate. Right. What was it like later on to watch really both his kids, but certainly Austin come through as a kind of a high school legend here and now to see your teammate have a kid in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, Brian, you know, we were in each other's weddings and great friends. Uh, talked to him yesterday, saw him yesterday. You know, he works for BSN and – I ordered all our stuff from him, and we sat down for about two or three hours yesterday and had a great talk. Of course, it always goes to Austin and Spencer. And the year uh, 2014, when we won a state championship at Brooklyn, the year before, we played uh, Cedar Ridge in the uh, Newport Classic. Austin's a freshman. Spencer's a junior, I believe. And we had a really good team. Of course, they were really good. They had the, the other set of brothers. I can't remember what their names were, but they were extremely good. And we had a knockdown drag out, went to overtime, and we happened to win. So I always remind, you know, if I ever see Austin or anything like the Spencer, I was like, hey, you know, we beat you. Oh, you remember that, don't you? You know, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I got to see Austin just developing Spencer. Man, they're, they're just great kids. I felt like my son, Kurt, uh, he was a senior this year, just graduated. His favorite team is the. He's a huge LeBron fan, Laker fan. So Austin is his second favorite, he says, right behind LeBron. So every time they're on, we're watching it. And uh, so I'm texting Brian, are you at the game or watching? He goes, watching. So we're we're talking back and forth and about this play, that play. Why is he not playing? G- give, me the, give me the inside scoop of what's going on here. We're talking about how bad Westbrook is and, you know, he, he can't shoot and, you know, he's the worst shooter. I've, I've never seen anybody as bad as he is. You know, it's great. It, it's just – it's unbelievable. But uh, we're just – we're going back and forth. And uh, I feel like – I know Austin's not my son, but I feel like that's just one of my family members out there playing. I know that sounds corny, but it does. I mean, he's – he's uh, Brian's one of my best friends. And what a great opportunity and what a blessing for have a son playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. That's amazing. Mm. You know, you go back to those days, though, and over the four years of your career, the Convo is averaging over 6,000 fans a game. Right. And it seems like just a long way from the kind of crowds we've seen over the last several years. Talk about what that meant to you as a player, knowing you were going to have that kind of support every time you took the floor. That's so easy to talk about because we were undefeated at home my, my senior year, and I believe we still have uh, that senior year. We had it, it was the most wins in Arkansas State men's history, and I think uh, we were twenty three and uh, twenty three and nine. And mm-hmm. but we knew if we're playing at home, we could beat anybody. That's that was our thought, and uh, 
there were so many games that if we didn't have that crowd, we wouldn't have won that game. There was a game against Murray State. I believe they're ranked 30th in the nation. They came in and uh, Popeye Jones Mm -hmm. played in the NBA. They had two guards that were extremely good. And we're down. And we went on a three-point barrage between me and Keith uh, Keith Gray and Philip McKellar. I think we hit six in six possessions between us. The place is going crazy. But but right before that, I, th- I feel like we're down six or seven. We're on a defensive possession. And the stands just stand up and start cheering and clapping. And and you as a player, you you feel that. You feel that intensity. And you're like, okay, I don't want to let these, guys, these people down who are buying tickets, who come to watch us. And I didn't figure that out to my senior year that, you know, these people are invested in us. These people are, yep. they come spend money and it's not, if we lose, yeah, they're upset. They're, they're, they are truly upset. And I remember, you know, coming out of huddles and like, come on guys, you know, we got to do this. These, you know, we knew what was going on. We understood that being seniors. So we go on that barrage and we win that game and there's no way we win that game at Murray State we would have lost, but we would have beat anybody that night at the Convocation Center. So there were so many games like that. Louisiana Tech games, uh, University of New Orleans with uh, Irvin Johnson. I mean, we beat Houston uh, when I was a sophomore. Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech. I mean, it, it's it's a truly tough place to play. And that was one of the reasons why we, we couldn't get people coming in because it was so hard for uh, we were upsetting people uh, and beating people who probably shouldn't. But what I remember coming in my junior and senior year, we there was always a official warm up, but you always went out early and did your own individual warm up. And I remember, you know, about midway through my senior year, I'm thinking, you know, I see the same people at the same spots all the time and they start coming earlier and earlier and earlier well we had to do an event and the guy came up and said well, me and my son come and watch you do your shooting routine for every game and i'm thinking i don't do a shooting routine <laughs> you know i just i just you know in my head i've got to get i got to shoot these many shots and shoot where i shoot in games and, and I, I i guess i do a routine but it's nothing scripted but they actually would watch it and they said yeah you do this and this and this and this and this and I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I kind of do that. So I guess it is a routine. But, <laughs> you know, but they're here to watch. And I sit there. I remember towards the end of the year, there's 1,500, 2,000 people an hour and a half, two hours before the game just watching us do individual shootings and do individual workouts. And then we come back out and there's six, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 people there. And I know that's, you know, when you're talking about SEC, ACC, Big Ten, they got the huge gyms. But – for Arkansas State and Jonesboro to have that amount come in, boy, it was something special. It really was. You get into coaching in the area, and you know, have success. First of all, you go win basketball games at what was labeled a football school down at Win. Then you come to a place where basketballs, you know, was king at, at Brooklyn. Inevitably, was a head coach or even a, a staff opening at Arkansas State. Somebody somewhere is going to go. They ought to get Bobby Gross in on that. They ought to get Bobby Gross. They ought to call Bobby Gross. Well, uh, given what happened, the, the landscape of college basketball this past year, mm-hmm. and what happened with the A State program this off season, I met Brooklyn calling a baseball game this spring, and Bobby Gross comes up to me and declares that the worst job in the world 
would be to be a mid-major head basketball coach right now. You, you stand by that opinion? Oh, a thousand percent. I don't know why <laughs> Coach Bellotto is even doing what he's doing. I could not – the amount of time and effort that he put into Norshad. And I'm not knocking Norshad and his decision, you know, there's so many angles and so many ways that you can look at this and doing what's best for you and all that stuff. I get it. But he took a chance on a kid, worked, developed. He's the conference player of the year. Was he the defensive player of the year, too, at mm-hmm. the same time? Yep. And when's the last time Arkansas State's had that? And now, with the rules, he can just pick up and go to a better place and, or a bigger place and – there's no repercussions. There's no ramifications. So basically, what we are, we're a you know we're a breeding ground. We're a minor league for the big boys, and I I just uh, I couldn't imagine because as a high school coach, you put your whole life into these kids, and you know from time to time you might have a kid move away, kid go here, and you're like, ah, oh, Lee, I put everything I had to him. It's so tough to see him somewhere else. And I've and I've had kids move in from you know neighboring districts around here, and and you know I know it's tough on those coaches. You know you you put everything into these kids, and and to be a Division One mid major, I just don't I don't know how you do it because you know you think all right I'm gonna work 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 to get this kid so we can win games. Well then the better they get, the more chance they have to go to a bigger place. To, to I'm not saying a better place, but a bigger school that has more maybe more notoriety and. It is. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. And then you, you got the NIL money. And I had a guy come to me this, oh, I guess it's springtime. He said, can you just believe that, that you know, those poor guys, they, they don't even pay those poor guys. And I just looked at him and said, you know, are you crazy? <laughs> what do you mean I can't believe? Do you not realize how fortunate you are to be a Division One? athlete at any sport i said if anybody needs to be paid it's the tennis players it's the track guys the kind of secondary sports non-revenue because yeah. football and basketball it, it is it, it it's it and but all these other ones you know baseball you get the half scholarships the quarter scholarships you, you know some of them you don't even get a scholarship you just hey come on be on the team walk on pay your way and we got treated like absolute kings at little bitty Arkansas State back in 87 to 91. I don't even know if we were a mid-major then. We might have been a small major, small mid-major back then. You cannot put a price on going to the to Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. You cannot put a price on going to Stanford. You cannot put a price going to Boston College, going to Puerto Rico, going to Georgia, going to Alabama, going to Iowa, just going to all these places, experiencing all these places, flying on planes, Eating in the best restaurants, getting the gear that we get, not to mention free books, free room and board, free meals, free education, free tutoring, free guidance. You cannot put a price on that. And, you know, the, the education that you receive, you have for the rest of your life. You know, to feel sorry for a kid that doesn't get paid, then I don't know if you're really looking at it in the right way. Now, as a Division One athlete, you cannot work. Do I think they need some money for gas, clothing? Because we were we were made to wear a uh, coat and tie every road trip. So if that's required, should they buy that? I, f- I think they should. Should they give them some money for incidentals and for gas and just to, uh, just to live? Yes, but they should give the exact same amount to the tennis player, to the track athlete, to the baseball player. 
and it should be exactly the same across the entire college. Now, I know there's different, some cities, it's a higher living standard. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to take all that into account. But some of these people are making tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and maybe a million dollars at 18 years old. And that coach is yelling at you because you can't do this. And that, if if somebody gave me a million dollars and Coach Catalina was yelling at me, jump to the ball or take that charge, man, I don't know if I would uh, look at him like he's like yeah, he's so, crazy. So what happens if you're on a uh, – you come to Arkansas State, you get a six-figure NIL deal, and the second day Coach McCreary tells you you can't shoot. Exactly. What are you doing? I tell him, well, you need to go on. I got I – got, <laughs> You lost your mind. My shots, my shots, fine because I got. I make more money than you're you not do. pushing carts at Hayes anymore. Right, I'm not pushing carts at Hayes. I'm not learning what it means to be tough. I'm not learning. Uh, there's so much. You cannot put a price on experience. You cannot put a price on the fame. You cannot put the price on people holding you up at, at literally as a god. And people would pay millions for that. And for a short little window. You're there. Even at the end of the bench. You know, I tell my wife all the time, I'd take five years at the end of my life to go back one more year of college basketball. It was that good. I said, I didn't matter if I played or not, just to be a part of it, just to mm. be – it was such a good experience. And just to be a part of that team and go and do and, and experience that. And she always gets mad now. She played college basketball, say, she, too. She didn't have a shared experience? She, it's funny. When the kids are all gone and we'll see a place maybe on TV and we're like, and she'll go, well, I was there. Then I'll see one. I was like, well, I went there. And so we start comparing where, we, where we've been. And they showed the San Diego Zoo one time. And I was like, hey, I went to San Diego Zoo. She goes, when did you go there? I said, we went to San Diego, played in their tournament. She goes, oh, we went to Boston and, and played where the Celtics played, you know, and all that stuff. So we, we share experiences. She loved it. She probably didn't – I don't know if she loved it quite like I do. She would not say take five years off your life, and I know that's, that's kind of dramatic, but she had some great experiences too. But I think we're going – it was just going down such a slippery slope of uh, pain because, you know, if the quarterback for Alabama is making $1.2 million and this left tackle is making maybe – maybe somebody gave him $1,000, I won't tell you that that quarterback's not – anything without that left tackle you got to have the line for the quarterback to have enough time to throw it to the receiver who's who's got an ego bigger than anything because he wants the ball every possession so that's why it's it's just i feel like it's got to be equal and you got these collectives out there that are just uh, it just blows my mind the collectives (laughs) i mean that's just like i mean we're, we're going to where did schools cheat and buy players of course but now it's it's it the wild, you. wild west. Well, it's, it's a different day from when you were playing. Right. And I different. feel like we could go a lot longer with this conversation. Oh, no but, quite. And the portal. Yeah, all that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it has been a lot of fun kind of reminiscing about your days at Arkansas State. And, man, they were good days. They were great. I feel very fortunate to be a part of it when it was at, I feel like it's highest and uh, the crowds and everything and and how we get it back, I don't have all the answers because if I did, you know, I would we'd be millionaires. But uh, you know, there's a lot of other things to do, and and uh, you know, this job at a mid major, I, I don't envy uh, Coach Bellotto and and uh, where what he has to do uh, at the at, at the mid major level. So I don't have the answers to that, and I I would never criticize 
what he does because I know how hard it is to do what we do at the, even at the high school level. So, um, but no, it was a blessing, a true blessing uh, to be a part of it those days. We appreciate you coming in. Hey, thank you all. Anytime. Appreciate it. That's Bobby Grosh joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Feel like we could have probably done an hour, another hour or so with Bobby Gross. Yeah. And I I knew what the what that was going to go like. You know, like I said, just in what I do on my show and just how much high school stuff we do, I get a chance to visit with Coach Gross a lot. Plus, being the AD, you know, we work with him a, a lot. Being Brooklyn's broadcast partner, yeah, their, uh, you know, we carry all the Brooklyn games on one of our stations and work with their streaming broadcast. So I knew there was a, a treasure trove there to just get tapped into, and I knew that'd be an enjoyable visit, and it sure was. Next week on this podcast, we'll have a full recap of Sunbelt Conference Football Media Day and talk about all the folks that we visited with while in New Orleans. And look, it's here. Football season is here. The players are about to report officially. They've been here for a while, but they Mm -hmm. officially report uh, coming up here in the coming days. We have an anniversary cake in here. We'll have cake next week. All right. Podcast. Yeah. A year in. Yeah. All right. So what do we need to talk well, about before we wrap yeah, it up? I'm sitting here thinking about that. I don't know what I got unless I rehash one. I got on a more of one than I anticipated getting on the other day on my show. I had people texting me and like, all right, go. You know, it really could just, I didn't mean to. It just sort of, the more I talked, the more it went as I got to talking about live golf. And, you know, I just you either know what that is or not. It's a you know new golf league I trying to challenge the PGA Tour. It's backed by this public fund out of Saudi Arabia with billions of dollars in it, and you know a lot of people uh, people have you know, chastised players that have that have signed there because of sort of where the money's coming from. And I get it, but like I don't know why. I'm not sure. I mean, I know the Saudi Arabia ties are part of it for me, but just in general. I guess just all my years of, of watching wrestling, I mean, there's like a good guy and a bad guy. And just in my mind, for whatever reason, not just the tie, just in general, like Liv Golf is the bad guy in my view. And I didn't know I had such strong feelings for the PGA Tour, but apparently I do. I feel very strongly about it. <laughs> you, you've realized your affinity just, for the PGA Tour. Just how Tour. much it means to me, yes. Uh, and who knew? Uh, but these dudes, like, forget where the money's coming from. Forget the ties. This is my thing. These guys are, and at least now they've they've stopped insulting people enough that they'll at least acknowledge Bryson DeChambeau, Henrik Stenson. At least they acknowledge that the money was part of it. So let's don't let's not kid ourselves. It's the biggest part of it. Yeah, guaranteed money, fewer events, shorter events, no cuts. So you're gonna get your guaranteed money and make more money on top of that. Just just say that's it, what it is. So many of them cite the schedule. The easier schedule, lighter schedule, in one breath, and in the next breath, 
turn around and want to go play in an event on the DP World Tour or the PGA Tour, play in the major? Well, no. If you're taking all the, you want the guaranteed money and the lighter schedule, take your ass over there and play the lighter schedule and just stay over there. <laughs> Quit trying to do both. All right. You cited the lighter schedule. Go play it. Spend the rest of the time counting your money when these guys are playing the events you wanted to play in. You probably don't have enough stamina to last for 72 holes now anyway. That's right. They're, they're only playing 54. Well, you got it off your chest. Yeah, and that was a pretty toned-down version. <laughs> hey, thanks again to Bobby Gross. Really looking forward to uh, recapping Sunbelt Football Media Days with you on our next edition next week of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.